Thank you, Colton. If you haven't had a chance yet to turn, I want to invite you to turn to this wonderful story in John 4 or uh, on page 836, as he said on your uh, black Bibles there. We're continuing this story from John 4 from last week, uh, finishing really the second half. But as I told my kids this week, the Samaritan woman is really not uh, prevalent in our story this time. In fact, it's more the disciples and the town in which uh, she, this woman, went back to, to speak to and witness to that are really the uh, main players in this, this act of uh, this play. Um, my hope and prayer this week is, is really that the Lord would, as Jesus commands His disciples, that the Lord would do the same for us and open our eyes, that we would look and lift up our eyes to Him um, to see as He sees. Uh, because uh, as you heard read, as Jesus said, the fields are white for harvest, and that was true then, and it's, it's true now. And so, so many of us, myself included, it's so easy to continue on with the busyness of life, uh, finding food to eat as the disciples were finding food, going to work and making a living, mowing the lawn so we don't get the notice from the HOA or our neighbors or whatever it is, uh, doing just our normal things, going to practice, uh, going to our games, going to our clubs, going to all of those kinds of things, and we can do all of those good things and yet be missing what the Lord has for us right in front of us. We can even be doing good and great things uh, with our family, at work, amongst our neighborhood, in, in the midst of relationships, uh, and yet uh, we could be distracted by those things from doing what the Lord would have us do. We can even see some of those things around us in our life as distractions from what we want to do or what we think God wants us to do. And in reality, sometimes those distractions are actually what the Lord wants us to be focused on right there in that moment. And so my prayer this week is that the Lord would just open up our eyes to give us his vision, to, to give us His eyes to be able to see the world around us, the needs of the people around us, the need of the world around us, the lack of the knowledge of the gospel that's around the world that we've even considered this morning in praying for the most unreached peoples, even specifically in, in Africa. And so let's consider that. Would you join with me this morning in praying, Lord, give us your vision. Give us your sight this morning. Uh, the story that we took up in John chapter 4 last week was that story of the Samaritan woman, Jesus intentionally meeting her at the well, uh, breaking all cultural boundaries, but because of love for this woman, engaging with her and revealing to her her identity, not only as a Samaritan and a woman, but also her need for living water, eternal life, 
And in doing so, he also revealed his ability to provide this living water for her, him and him alone. He went on to, well, in that moment when she didn't get it, didn't realize that, she, that he was talking about spiritual living water, she thought he was talking about physical living, running, flowing, fresh water in a stream nearby, not the well that had been there for hundreds and thousands of years. Jesus pressed in further to reveal to her her inability and her need for true worship. And Jesus in that moment at the same time revealed his identity as not only a prophet, but the Messiah, the Christ, the one whom she had been waiting for. And when she finally realized who Jesus was, when Jesus says, I am he whom you're waiting for, the Christ, that's where we pick up where Colton began reading for us in this transition moment in verse 27 that just then as Jesus said, I who speak to you am he, the Christ, just then the disciples came back. They had been shopping for groceries for Jesus uh, to be able to eat because he was weary from his journey from Jerusalem um, to the north towards Galilee. And so they had been shopping. They came back with their hands full and they marveled that he was talking with a woman, much less a Samaritan woman. But John the Apostle, who was amongst these disciples who had gone shopping and now come back, uh, they had gone to the town nearby, they had come back, John was one of them, and he notes that no one said what they were thinking, which is probably a good thing, right? To be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. They didn't actually put their foots, their feet, their foots in their mouth like I just did right there. Uh, they held it in, and yet John records it for us later to be able to see the chaos and, and the confusion that was going on in this circumstance. And so he records that they were thinking, what do you seek, Jesus? What are, uh, why are you talking to her? What are you doing talking to this Samaritan woman? Do you not know she's a Samaritan? Do you not know that she's also a woman? They didn't understand. And, and so in that moment, as they are walking up, hands full of groceries, and kind of jawed, dropped, the woman drops her jar that she came to get water with and goes back to town empty-handed. She doesn't even have the jar that she brought with her. And she goes back to her, her went away to the town, and she says to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Now, with the context of this story, we're remembering that when Jesus revealed to her her sin, he revealed to her that she had been the wife of five other husbands, likely five because of her own uh, immorality and adultery in the midst of those relationships. And so to go back into town and to reveal to the entire town that there was a man who told me all that I ever did was like going into town and saying, there was a man who told me all of the sins I'd ever committed. And yet, he loved me still. 
and he came to save me still. I want you to imagine that kind of scene in the town happening because that's where the story really begins to pick up for us this morning. From that moment in verse 30, we get this summary statement that we'll pick up later in, in John 4, that they went out of the town and were coming to him. They were curious. They were interested. In fact, we'll find out later they, they actually believed simply because of this woman's testimony of, uh, and her witness of who Jesus was. But while she had gone into town, leaving her water jar behind, Jesus was having a conversation with his disciples in, in 31. And there, Jesus is going to note for us importantly that the food that matters is the Father's will. If you're taking notes this morning uh, under the, the title of Witness as Worship, I would encourage you to note that in the first few verses there. The, the food that matters is the Father's will. And this is what Jesus wants to get across to His disciples in that moment. And after they, for a, a moment at least, were silent and the woman runs off and they're probably eyeballing one another thinking, what, what just happened? They kind of fall back into routine and they start unpacking their groceries and, and say, Rabbi, eat. Eat something. That's what they had gone to the city and the town to get food for. They bring it back to him. He was weary and they're just like, okay, well here, teacher, eat. Eat some of this. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. I have food that you don't know about. And the disciples immediately are, are thinking, what? I, did, we just went into town to get you food and you have a snack bar? Like you have like your mom's purse that always has snacks in it, you know, it's something like that. Uh, you have, if you had food, why did you tell us to go get food? I don't, I don't understand. The disciples said to one another, again, not to him, has anyone brought him something to eat? Like, did she leave him food here? I don't, I don't understand that. Again, there's a misunderstanding and oftentimes, when you're reading the Gospel of John, you'll come across these misunderstandings. We've seen several of them already. We saw one last week when individuals in the Jesus says something, and individuals in the story are thinking physically, horizontally, when Jesus is actually talking vertically and spiritually. So we can think back to Jesus telling the Pharisees around the temple, destroy this temple and in three days I'll build it back up again. And they're, they're saying to themselves, what? It, it took 46 years to build this temple. What are you talking about? You could do it in three days. Well, Jesus was not talking about a horizontal, physical temple. He was talking about a vertical, spiritual temple that was his body. Uh, Jesus Christ himself that would be his church later on. Or consider in John chapter 3 when Nicod Jesus told Nicodemus that he needed to be born again if he wanted to enter into and see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus, again, thinking horizontally, physically, how can I be born again? Do you, 
do you think I'm going to actually enter into my mother's womb to be born again? I, I don't understand what you're talking about, Jesus. And that's because Jesus was talking on a vertical level, talking about being spiritually born again. For we are dead in our sins and trespasses, and we need to be made alive in Christ. We need to be born again. And, and the same thing happened last week when we were considering John chapter 4, when Jesus said to the woman at the well, you need to drink living water so that you're not thirsty anymore. And she says, give me this water. Wherever it is, wherever this fresh, flowing, running stream is that you know about, that no one else has known about for hundreds and thousands of years, tell me where it is so that I can go get that kind of water. But Jesus was talking vertically, spiritually, about living water of eternal life that comes from Jesus Christ. And, and again, the same thing happens here. Jesus goes vertical when they're thinking ori only horizontal. They had gone to buy food. They bring food back to him, and they tell him to eat, and he says, I have food. And emphatically, he even says, I have food that you do not know about. To which the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? And Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Jesus was identifying and acknowledging that the food that mattered to him most was his Father's will. This is not to negate the fact that Jesus was hungry and weary from his journey and would probably eat that food that they got later. There are other stories where Jesus was hungry and he ate. He ate fish. He ate bread. Um, this is not to negate and say that food is unimportant, that we just need to forget about eating and forget about meals and forget about all of that. And in fact, Jesus himself chose to use bread, food, as a picture of his body later on. So it's not negating and saying food is unimportant. It's just not the most important. And in the disciples' mind right then in that moment, food was everything. I mean, they were hungry. Imagine you just being starving after working hard or going without a meal because of the busyness of the day or whatever it is and, and just having the opportunity to eat a good meal or maybe you've worked all day for a really good meal and you're looking forward to it at the end of the day and yet having that reminder as good as this is and, and as important as this food is for me in this moment, it's not the most important thing. There's other things that are more important. But to the disciples, this, this was the most important thing to them. This is everything uh, that they were focusing on. And consider that they had gone, they, they had come upon the Samaritan woman in, in Jesus coming from the town that she had already come out of, and they had gone back in, uh, maybe crossing each other, uh, as they did, and they had come back uh, with this food, the same town that this woman. That'll be important as we consider 
what happens as a result of the woman's work in a little bit. But they're not thinking spiritually, vertically. They're thinking only horizontally. And Jesus wants to get their attention to help them to think vertically, to help them think spiritually. And he talks about his food, what's most important to nourish him in this moment was his father's will. Several more times later in the Gospel of John, we'll see this idea fleshed out of him doing the father's will. Everything that Jesus did was in accordance with the father's will. It was here he focuses on the fact that he was even sent to do the Father's will. And it's our sentness out into the world to be the church in the world uh, that we go out to do the same, the Father's will. And Jesus here is referencing back into the Old Testament to Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, where Moses records that He humbled you speaking of God humbling Israel, and He let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know. Nor did your fathers know that He might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. When Moses says that he has food here, that they don't know about. He's talking about the Father's will. He's talking about God's Word. He's talking about this vertical realm, doing what God would desire. And he references back to this this story of Israel, that God would allow Israel to be hungry for a time so that they would have to learn to depend upon Him and Him alone for a season. It's good, Christian, for you to intentionally go hungry for a little bit. It's called fasting. It's good for us to intentionally fast from a meal every so often so that we might train our bodies to depend upon the Lord and the Lord alone, to depend upon His Word alone for our nourishment that we would not just go along with our physical earthly lives eating three meals a day and snacks in between and coffees all in between, all of those. We need to think and treasure God's Word as often, if not more often, than we eat every day. What a challenge that would be to some of us to treasure and nourish ourselves with God's Word as often as we actually eat each and every day. You know how beneficial that would be? It would be as beneficial as it was for Jesus when He, after He was baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan River, and went out Himself to intentionally fast for 40 days, and yet at the end of those 40 days was tempted by... Satan himself. You know the term hangry? Jesus was, had the potential to be more hangry than anyone at the end of those 40 days. And Satan comes to Jesus and says, are you hangry yet? Just 
turn these stones into bread. And you can eat and you can enjoy food. You can fill your belly with food right here, right now. Just change these stones to bread. And guess what Jesus quotes? The same verse. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. That he says, Man does not live uh, by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Do you realize that if we would train ourselves and nourish ourselves with the Word of God, the, that, that is the living bread of God, as often as we fill ourselves with physical food throughout the day, we would be more prepared in those hangry moments to actually allow the Word of God to guide us to holiness and purity and obedience in, in those moments. And so this is encouragement for us. Jesus is attempting to take the disciples who are focused on a physical meal, who are focused on uh, the, the rest of the day, taking a, a rest by this well later this afternoon possibly, or the rest of their journey north to Galilee. They're only halfway. They're thinking about physical things only. And Jesus is saying, would you just stop for a second? Would you just stop for a second and look at the world around you spiritually. Jesus had trained himself to do this with the Word of God. He himself, being the Son of God, was able to do it in a way that none of us can, but he grew in the favor with man and both God as he trained himself in the Scriptures and had the Scriptures on his mind and were able to bring those to, to light. Not only is, is that idea useful in the midst of just physical busyness and the physical lives that we live, but even in the midst of suffering. Even in the midst of suffering as Israel was, went without food for a time so that God could provide manna for them and show that He alone could take care of them. A man like Job suffered greatly. Uh, and yet, in the midst of his suffering, he says in Job 23, 12, I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my portion of food. So whether it's in the midst of suffering, physically, financially, relationally, emotionally, whatever it is, might that be said of you? That you treasure the word of the Lord more than your portion of food for this day? And might you, Christian, even be willing to show that in giving it up for a day? Saying to your kids, and to your spouse, and to your friends, I want to train myself to treasure the word more than I treasure food. I think a, a real practical application of this text is for us to literally fast this week, church. To fast and to seek the Lord in His Word and to ask Him, Lord, give me your vision. Give me your eyes. Let me see as you see things on a vertical, spiritual realm, not just a horizontal, physical realm. That we might learn to depend upon the Lord and, and see what His will is. And, and we can rest assured in those moments when we are seeking God and His will and asking, Lord, what do you want me to do? What am I to do in these moments? No doubt the 
the unclear will of God in the future will become more clear if we're doing the things that are abundantly clear already in God's Word. So often we spend so much time wondering about what is God's will for me in the future and what am I to do? And we need to just rest in what He's given us to do today. To trust God's Word that He's given us this day and and be faithful to live that out. And as we do those things, He'll make the future will of the Lord clear to us in those moments. And so that's the first real startling statement that Jesus makes to get these disciples' attention that His food was to do the Father's will. And that, I hope, would be true of us as well. That our food, though most of us will go and eat lunch after this, um, that at some point this week, we would take a break from a meal to train ourselves, remind ourselves uh, that our most important food is to do the Father's will. Jesus wants to grab their attention a bit more, and so He presses on in verse 35 through 38. And there I would encourage you to note uh, not only that the food that matters is the Father's will, But Jesus commands His disciples to look and labor in the Father's fields. Look and labor in the Father's fields. In verse 35, He says, Do you not say there are yet four months and then come the harvest? Jesus goes physical on them for a moment and says, Look, even you are able to know the times and the seasons of sowing seed and harvesting that seed. That when you sow a seed, it'll be about four months more and then the harvest will come. You're able to determine the times and the seasons of sowing and reaping in the harvest. Jesus would mention this kind of reality to His disciples and others in, in one of the other Gospels, in saying you can look at the clouds and the skies and be able to determine whether or not a storm is coming, but you don't have the vision to see things spiritually. You're really good at looking physically and looking at the physical uh, needs, the physical world, and, and what's happening horizontally on the earth, but you're not good at looking at things vertically and spiritually. And so Jesus makes this physical statement, a reality that was true of the disciples, that they could determine the timing of the harvest. But Jesus in that moment, He commands them multiple times in this next sentence. Look, I tell you. Lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. I think this is the, really the climax of our entire passage this morning as Jesus commands multiple, the disciples multiple times uh, with three different words for seeing, to look, to lift up your eyes, and to see that the fields are white for harvest. Now I want you to imagine the, the scene. Remember where the context has us as Jesus is at the well with the woman. The disciples come up 
and are silent for a minute. The woman leaves her jar and goes back into town. The disciples kind of look around at each other and start bringing out the groceries and say, here, eat. And, and Jesus uh, is having this conversation with them. All the while is what John says in verse 31. Meanwhile, while the woman goes into town and speaks to them and tells them that she met a man that could tell her everything she had ever done, they begin to come out to her or, and, and come out to him there at the well. And so some time had probably gone on and the scene is set for Jesus to have this conversation with the disciples and he looks at them and he says, would you just look? Lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. And it's likely that by that time, the crowds of the, the city are now coming out to Jesus. That there are hordes of people coming out to him to be able to hear what this woman has testified to and witnessed to in town and now they're coming to see if it's a reality these disciples who were just in that town to buy groceries and came back to Jesus and no one had followed them to come and meet Jesus no one had listened they had likely not witnessed not testified to who Jesus was or the fact that he was there, they were ashamed of the fact that he was in Samaritan territory. And, and so these disciples who had been in that town and come back out with food to give to Jesus were so focused on the physical things that they had gone to the grocery store, gone into town, gone to do their normal routine of things and had no spiritual conversations, not cared about anyone in that town spiritually and had come back without anyone following them. But this Samaritan woman who had had her sin brought to the forefront of her heart and her mind and yet realized that Jesus had come to, to save her, that He was the Christ, the promised one of God, when she realized that Jesus had come and that He was indeed her Savior, she went back into town and told everyone she could. And as a result, there are hordes of people coming out to meet Jesus, to see if it is so. She was not thinking. She could care less about physical things. She had left her physical water jar at the well and only cared about spiritual things and went into town and wanted them to realize what she had realized. Wanted them to know whom she had got to know. Wanted them to be known by whom had known her. That's what she was worried about. And Jesus is trying to get these disciples, the, get through their hard heads and their hard hearts and said, just look, I tell you. Lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. There were spiritual fields that were white for harvest, meaning that the seed had been sown, they had grown up green, they had grown up into a stalk with a, a head of 
grain up on the top of that. It was busting at the seams and looked white. If you're in America, you would say those are amber waves of grain, and, and they were ready to be harvested and full. And Jesus is saying there is amber, there are white harvests, uh, a white fields ready for harvest spiritually right in front of you. You were actually among it, and you didn't even see it. Train yourself to look spiritually at things. As you go about your physical lives here on this earth, make sure you're not just living horizontally, but you're living vertically. As you're meeting people, maybe even for the first time, and you're having conversations, you're having meals with them, don't just have physical meals with people. Engage in vertical spiritual conversations, for that may be your last meal with that person. We're not guaranteed another day, another week, another month, another opportunity with those people that we're with. Let's use it intentionally. Jesus tries to make a note of the point in verse 36 where He says, already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. I wonder if He's saying there that already the one who reaps, that may be the woman, is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life. She just, and realize this, she just came to realize the source of living water and eternal life, and she's already reaping living water and eternal life for others in one another's lives. This ought to be a challenge to us as as Christians who have been Christians for any amount of time, as helpful as an evangelism class is, and as helpful uh, as studying answers to questions that people may have for you to be able to have an answer for them in that moment, as good as some of those things are, we need to be about the spiritual work that the Lord has right before us and not wait till we have the answers for they'll have more questions by the time we get back with our answers and to use those opportunities that the Lord gives us. And to encourage you, if you're a young Christian, to be encouraged by the example of this woman who immediately goes out and does evangelistic work. All she needed to know that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God, the promised Savior, For her, in this story, Jesus had yet to die on the cross and rise from the dead. But to her, He was the promised one. And and if uh, others who knew their Old Testament better than she would know that He would be giving His life for them and and to be raised from the dead later on. But this is all she knew. How much more do we know on this side of the cross and the resurrection and even the ascension of Jesus? For here in verse 37, Jesus says the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Listen, he's saying to these disciples, I sent you to reap. 
I wonder if, is he meaning, like he actually sent them to get physical food, but in hopes that they would actually get spiritual food while they were there. I sent you to reap in that town that which you did not labor for, but you came back empty-handed. Others have labored now, and, and you have entered into their labor one of the truths that comes out of this is, is that in the midst of us being sent out to be the church in the world, that there are going to be opportunities where uh, you may have a, a very easy opportunity to share the gospel with someone and them immediately choose to repent of their sins and believe in Jesus Christ and follow her. Or maybe you invite someone to come to church and they accept your invitation and they come and they hear the gospel of that. And you're actually getting to harvest what was actually sown before you. That, that wasn't the first time they had probably heard the gospel, at least in our cultural context. That wasn't the first time they were invited to church, because if you've got on Facebook this week, you've probably got multiple promoted, sponsored Easter invites to lots of different churches uh, around the city. So that probably wasn't the first, but you're entering into that and getting to harvest what others have already sown. Or, Or the vice versa might be true of that. You may go out and say, Brian, I've gone out for 10 years as a part of the Fields Church. I've invited tons of people. And then they end up going to other churches. Well, realize that them going to another church or responding to the gospel years later or decades later isn't just because of that one other person's work in their life, but was the work of God in sowing seeds year after year relationship after relationship, invite after invite, and then finally coming to fruition in God's perfect timing. We've seen this in, in our own church. I uh, talked with Jordan and Carolina this week and asked if I could share their story for when we got involved at this YMCA as a church. Carolina was working at the front desk and just was inviting people to come to our group And lo and behold, she accepted and came and came to group and uh, had lots of questions, (laughs) uh, ate lots of spaghetti uh, with our family uh, and had many conversations with joy and came to salvation uh, by grace through faith, was baptized. And then later on, there was another person working the front desk and his name was Jordan. And guess what? Carolina invited Jordan to come come to church and guess what he accepted and he came to church and while Graham was preaching responded in faith to the gospel and was later baptized and uh, began growing in our church and uh, only after some time um, after I told him you can't date Carolina until you're godly man <laughs> uh, he became a godly man and they were married and and to see the, the fruit of their life. But let's not forget the stories that both of them could tell you of gospel conversations that they had had years before that. Jordan even talking about 
an example of a distant family member in his life that he remembers visiting and seeing the first picture of the gospel in their life and seeing that seed finally come to fruition years later. That's the kind of kingdom work we're getting at. We are being sent out every week to be the church in the world, and we don't know. Sometimes we may have the opportunity to sow and sow and sow. Sometimes we may have the opportunity to weed, to answer a few questions and weed out some of the things that are preventing that seed from growing. Sometimes we're going to have the opportunity to water and to pour water on the seeds that have been sown over years, and sometimes we're going to have the opportunity to harvest, and we're going to see that. Let us not be weary of sowing, of weeding. I hate picking weeds. Oh my goodness, I hate picking weeds. Let's not grow weary of picking spiritual weeds and watering spiritual water. Uh, Sometimes we're going to have the opportunity to harvest. And let us not become prideful in those moments thinking that, man, I did it. No, you didn't. (laughs) The Lord did it in His perfect timing. Let's be about that work, though. That's what Jesus was uh, encouraging them uh, to be about. Let's be about the Lord's work. Let's be about the Father's will. Let's look and labor in the Father's fields. Let's ask the Lord to give us His vision for this life, that we wouldn't only look at things physically, but we would look at things spiritually. Consider for a moment, just look around you at your neighbors, your co-workers, your family members, your friends, maybe even just the acquaintances that you come about throughout this week. Would you look at them with new vision this week and see that they might be the fields that the Lord has sent you into? Would you not come back here next week for a rebuke from the Lord saying, you again went about your week very physically and not thinking very spiritually? You went about your week again, only horizontally, and you spent no time living your week vertically. What an opportunity we have to be reminded of this. I'm thankful that the, the woman, that Samaritan woman at the well, didn't do the same thing that the disciples did. I'm thankful that she went out and was really only living spiritually and vertically, not horizontally and physically, for she left her water jar behind. And I want you to note the result of her efforts in verse 39. And really, when we're considering, when Jesus said that my food is to do my Father's will, for those of us who are Christians, the, the application, the command to us is what Jesus said, to look to lift up your eyes and to see the fields that are white for harvest, that we as Christians, we need to be looking and laboring in the Father's fields. That's what we need to spend our life doing. That's what we need to be doing to make our life count on this earth. But if you've come here and you're not a Christian, 
You're, maybe you're considering Christianity. Maybe you're considering the claims of Christ. Maybe you're considering what these people here at, at the Fields Church actually believe about Jesus and why. Why would you give up your Sunday morning? Why would you do some of these things? Why would you sing songs? Why would you pray prayers? Why would you listen to sermons like this over and over and over? I want you to consider this next section of the text. For in verse 39, the command and the application for you is to believe the witness about the Father's Son. For you, the encouragement is to believe the witness, the testimony about the Father's Son, Jesus Christ, who these people from the town come to realize is indeed the Savior of the world. In verse 39, it says, Many Samaritans from that town believed in Him. That is, they believed in Jesus. They believed that He was the Christ. And they didn't just believe these things about Him. They believed in Him. They put their hope in Him that day for the forgiveness of their sins. They believed in Him that day to be able to enjoy heaven and eternal life. They believed in Him. And and why did they believe in Him? Because of the woman's testimony. Or because of the woman's witness. And what was her witness? He told me all that I ever did. Only the Messiah could tell her everything that she had ever done. And so she witnessed and they believed. So in verse 40, when the Samaritans came to him, as verse 30 said that they were doing, they were coming to him regularly. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. So not only had many in that town put their faith in Jesus Christ because of this woman's testimony, but many more had believed over the next couple of days as Jesus bare witness about himself as well. In verse 42, it sums it up for us and says, They said to the woman, It is no longer because, and I would say simply because of what you said, that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Rest assured that her witness about the Savior was enough for them to believe in Jesus Christ. Christian, your witness to the world is enough. It is the means by which God has established people to come to know forgiveness of sins and salvation for eternal life. You being a witness to the world. But these people in this town had a special privilege and blessing of getting to hear it from the very words of Jesus Christ himself staying with them for two extra days to be able to hear these things themselves. And what they ultimately came to realize, that Jesus was indeed emphatic. The Apostle John records for us there that this is indeed for sure 
100%. No doubt about it, this Jesus is the Savior of the world. An entire town of people full that now realize that Jesus is the Savior of the world, that they have come to believe in Him at that point. That's the type of revival that Colin was praying for earlier. That's the hope that we see every time that we go out to be the church in the world is that people would indeed come to realize that Jesus is the Savior. It it doesn't take a fancy service. It doesn't take a a crazy uh, moment. It takes one person, one woman witnessing about who Jesus is. One woman testifying about her encounter with Jesus, recognizing that she was a sinner and that he was indeed her Savior. Jesus alone, who would later, from this story at least, give his own very life to die for her sins on the cross, and would be buried on, in the tomb and would rise from the dead victorious over sin and death on the third day. Indeed, the Savior of the world, Savior of all who would repent and believe, even this very morning. And my encouragement to you, if you have yet to come to realize that Jesus is indeed your Savior, is that this morning you would repent of your sins and come to believe in Jesus as the only one who can forgive you of your sins. Come to believe in Jesus as the only Son of God who is sent from heaven to earth to live the life that you couldn't live and yet to die the death that you deserve so that you could enjoy heaven and eternal life. This is why He came. And Christian church, this is why we go to proclaim this good news to the world around us. So don't go about this week again, like I'm so prone to do, just looking and living horizontally and physically. Look and live vertically and spiritually. Take time with people. Have serious, eternal conversations with people. Meet physical needs so that you can also meet a spiritual need. Whatever the Lord has for you this week, by faith, be obedient to Him in those moments and trust that that is His will for you this very day and this very week. And as you sow seed, weed around the seeds, water those seeds, or even get to harvest those seeds, give honor and glory to God as your witness has become an act of your worship this week. Let's pray. Father, would you help us by opening our eyes, giving us your vision. Lord, for those of us who you've opened our eyes to our sin and our need for a Savior, and we've clearly seen that Jesus, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, the Savior of the world, 
would you then open our eyes again as we may have shut them or as our vision may have become cloudy or blocked or distracted from seeing the world as you see it. Lord, may you give us your vision to be able to see the people around us right here and right now, this week, this very day. God, I pray that you'd also open up some of our eyes, some of our hearts, to see the extended world around us. The host of people who will be born and live and die without ever hearing the name of Jesus. And that while there are people right around us who need to hear the gospel, there are hosts, billions of people, uh, millions uh, in individual countries who will never hear of Jesus like this town heard about unless one leaves where they're at and goes to them. And God, I pray that you would, even now, as you've done in our small church over the years, raise up more to go. Some who would be willing to leave their water jar behind and to go and to proclaim the gospel. Lord, would you open our eyes to the need right here in our own community, but also the need around the world, and that we would go and do the Father's will. But God, I also want to pray that if there's someone who's come here hungry, thirsty, with physical hung, or spiritual hunger and spiritual thirst, longing for something more than this physical earth has offered them, I pray that they would find their, quen- their thirst quenched by you and you alone and their hunger satisfied by you and you alone, Lord. Might they turn to you the living water and the bread of life and eat and drink and be filled to have their sins forgiven and to know indeed that you are the Savior of the world. Lord, would you save some this morning? Lord, we love you. Jesus, thank you. And Spirit, help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.